0: Good morning and welcome to our service time. My name is Chris Static and I am the Director of Children's Ministry at New Life. And um, you know what? We would love to connect with you. So please check out our website um, and see how you can connect and um, just be part of our family and um, let us know if there's anything we can do for you. There's also a place there that you can give um, if you would like to. And um, But we just really want you to relax and enjoy this time where we're going to do some learning about Jesus together. So that's great. But I do have some exciting news to share with you. We are doing a contest for kids. We are doing a memory contest where the kids are learning the 23rd Psalm. I think it's really important that kids have put the Word of God onto their hearts. and um, So we've got lots of kids who are studying and learning and um, just trying to memorize the 23rd song. I have a really good kid copy of it, so if you would like to have a copy of that, please just let me know at, at newlifecollingwood.com. Send me an email, and I'm happy to send it to you so you can get, get on board and start working with us on this great contest. But now we're going to hear from Isabel, because she has been memorizing too, and I would just like to share her little video with you too, and then just sit back, relax, and enjoy this time. Isabel, you've been working really hard on memorizing the 23rd Psalm. Yeah. It's been it's been hard, but I I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. But you know what? I think it's a pretty good one to memorize because it remi- reminds us all the time of how much God wants to take care of us and to and to be with us. Yeah. I get I get kind of well, I I like it because it makes me kind of relax when I when I memorize this one. Oh, yeah, that's true. Do you think you can say some of it? What do you think? Um, See, I've printed off the paper here for you so that you, you can practice yeah. and I think that's what the kids are doing at home too. Yeah, it's kind of long. I wish I had a friend that I could do it with. Well, do you know what I was thinking would be a great idea? What? Is if kids who are in the same family memorized it together. Oh, so like I could do like like the first four lines and then my brother or sister could do the next ones? Yes. And, oh. and do you know what? what? I want to show you that this is one of the prizes that you could win. I wondered what that was. What? Can you tell me what it is. No, I'm not telling you what it ah! is. It's too exciting. Ah! I can't. No, I can't. I can't. No. Okay. do you know what? what? It's for summer. <gasps> and you're going to love it. <gasps> I know. But here's the thing. But... I think if you're right, I think if kids work together in the family and they memorize it together because this could be a family prize. Oh, so it's not just for one, one person in the yeah. family? Oh, It could be for two people. Two? What, could, about, what, what about three? It could be for three people. How, how, how about four? It could be for, it. well, I mean, right now we can't have a whole bunch of people together, but this prize? Could be for lots and lots of people. Okay. You know? Yeah. And I can't tell you any more than that. That's enough giving away our secrets. But I think we could do kids together memorizing the 23rd Psalm in the same family, and then we'll put their name in a draw. All the kids that memorize it will put their name in a draw, and then they could win the prize. I like it. Yes, I think it'll be fun and I'm looking forward to it. And this week, you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk to the kids about it. Oh, okay. And and then you can hear all the kids and hear how they're doing with their memorizing too, okay? Okay, sounds good. Well, I'm going to go start memorizing some more. Okay, thanks for coming. See ya. Bye-bye, everybody.
1: Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Isabel. Good morning, everybody. Uh Glad that uh, you can join us online and want to introduce uh, to you our good news story for this week. Um, a little bit different this week in that uh, all the Georgian Triangle churches have been very much involved in partnering with their communities and wanting to help uh, during this time. And one of the ideas that came out of this was to create a video montage of uh, just pictures of some of the things that the area churches have been doing. And we want to uh, introduce that video to you. I want to give you a heads up that in a moment we're going to try another poll. I want to use a poll to introduce our topic this morning. So I just want to um, let you know that I want you to get your phones ready. And be able to dial in to do our live poll, and uh, and then that will lead into our teaching time. But before we do that, uh, I want to introduce this video. It is uh, made up uh, in in kind of collaboration with uh, some of the Christian business leaders in the area um, who wanted to uh, help produce this. So this is a short video about uh, the way that churches have been involved uh, in the Georgian Triangle over the past few months. We are all experiencing significant changes in our lives due to the COVID-19 pandemic. One constant, however, which remains and has actually increased is our dependence on prayer, knowing that God knows the future and will sustain us through these difficult times. We also have people sharing their time and resources to make a better community. This is more evident now than ever in the past. Our civic leaders, our frontline workers, our business owners and ordinary citizens are showing us that when we work together, regardless of status, we can accomplish great things. We are seeing collaboration between regional governments and businesses and churches, all with the intent of helping our neighbor. Let's remember Jesus' words, love God above all and love your neighbor as yourself. Hi, I'm Terry Dowell, your MP for Simcoe-Grey. Thank you to all of you for helping to plank the curve, and let's keep the faith. Well, it is—it's um, very encouraging to see that uh, churches have been very involved. And I'm always amazed when I uh, think about uh, all of our communities uh, around the world, and when there are humanitarian efforts, uh, charities that are working with um, on people um, kind of living out on the margins and on the edges, uh, so often the, the church is involved with that, or behind it, uh, Christian people who are living out their faith are just inspired to go and to and to love others in very practical, tangible ways. So it's nice to see this, and it's been encouraging just talking with other with other pastors um, that I have had the opportunity to do over the past uh, couple of months to find out uh, what's happening. And so thank you um, to all of those uh, people that have been involved in these efforts. And I want to take the opportunity to pray for our leaders right now um, who are kind of trying to guide our communities uh, through these difficult days. Um, there's, a, there's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And we want to do that now. We want to pray for our leaders and uh, and ask God um, to give them the wisdom and for them to have uh, the wisdom they need to also seek wise counsel during these days. So I invite you to pray with me at this time. Father, thank you for... Uh, for the churches in the way that they are involved in our communities here in Collingwood, in Wasega Beach, uh, in Clearview, in the town of the Blue Mountains, um, and of course um, much further abroad than that. But these are the local churches that that are just uh, passionate about loving their communities and and letting people see what uh, what it looks like when we live out the way of Jesus. And so I pray that you'd encourage church leaders today that, uh, in these times of uncertainty and difficulty that they would be, um, just finding a sense of trust and hope in you. We want to take the opportunity to pray for the leaders in our communities, our mayors, uh, our town councils, um, various, um, community leaders of different organizations that are partnering together, uh, making sure that we are caring for, uh, for the people that are in these communities. These are very difficult days. Everybody wants this to be done. Our leaders have to make difficult decisions and they will be popular with some and not popular with others. Jesus is your people. We know that your kingdom is different than the, than the kingdoms of this world and yet we realize that we live in this world and we want to be the kind of people that, uh, that are lifting up our civic leaders and supporting them through prayer and encouraging them and as much as possible living the kind of lives that make their job easy. When we are tempted to criticize them um, for things that are um, maybe more personal or simply because we don't like what they're doing, uh, may you hold our tongues. Uh, when we have um, enmity in our heart towards our leaders for various reasons, may we find a softening that comes as we draw close to you. When we are divided because of politics, uh, may we see um, the opportunity to listen to one another, learn from one another, And when we realize that we're still going to disagree, um, how we love one another in spite of that. I'm sure that our leaders have had days when they're feeling very low. And on those days, I ask that you would lift them up. May they know that we're grateful. Inspire them. Draw them to yourself. And may they know that uh, in God's people, um, there's a community that are praying for them. We thank you for the chance to do that even this morning. We thank you for the chance to talk about um, leadership and leading through very difficult days in light of what has happened with George Floyd. And as we move into talking about this now, God, open our hearts, open our minds to hear from you and move our feet and our hands into action where that is possible. We love you. Uh, We want to give ourselves to you fully today that we would be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions. To your glory and in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you to grab your phone and uh, my computer just went black. Here we go. Um, dial the number 37607. And once you do that, then you can put in the, in the text of your email, NLC936. Hit send. That will let you log on. And I have a, uh, a very short question up there. We're hoping this works again. Um, we realized we put all this up there and uh, didn't actually check to make sure it's going to work, but I think it will. So I like the term religious, and I know right away you're probably thinking, well, I don't want a yes or no question, Paul, because like, sometimes it depends, and I very intentionally left that out. It's kind of like, you know, do you lean more towards yes, this is a good term, no, this is a bad term, and I want to invite you to um, text in your answers to that question, and we'll see uh, where the results land as you're doing that. Um, we're going to talk about how Jesus has come to shut down religion, and I need to augment that today because of what has happened this week, but I wanted to spend some time doing that. So I'm just waiting to see if this is going to show up. If you're texting in, yep, here we go. Their answers are just starting to come in, and this is where we have the lag. But um, probably a lot of you are thinking, well, it just depends on how you use that word. And I'm just forcing your hands a little bit. You either like this term and you use it more positively or you don't like it and you use it more negatively. And I think the answers are starting to show um, your responses to this. And it's not a surprise to me, actually, because this is very much the language of our culture where people would say, hey, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious and That seems to be kind of the the buzzword or the catchphrase for the day. And so we want to talk about religion today. And it looks like there's about 86% that would say, yeah, I don't really like this term. And I do know, to be fair, um, there can be that kind of in-between, well, it depends on how you use the term. It's an interesting term. And I think in today's culture, it does have a very negative connotation to it. So I'm going to put up a, a graphic for you uh, that actually shows you the the etymology of the word religion. It's a Latin word. It's it comes from two words: re, meaning to uh, to return or to repeat. <coughs> excuse me, and ligere, which means to tie or to bind. So in in a positive way, it can be to bind yourself to something important, which would be like faith in God, uh, following Jesus. So there's this positive use of the term religion. The, the Apostle James uh, uses this uh, in his letter, where he says like, religion that God accepts as, as pure and, and useful is to look after orphans and widows. And so here's religion being used in a positive way. And he's saying the kind of religion that does that is a good kind of religion. It's really a system that we use to connect ourselves to God and to experience him, particularly when we're gathered together, when there's a group of people that find this compulsion to follow God, to want to worship God. When we come together, then we're organizing ourselves. And so religion, in some ways, can be looked at as the trellis or the structure that allows us to do that, to express ourselves to God and organize ourselves in how we follow him. But religion can also have this very negative tone, which is what most people tend to think of, and that is um, when the system becomes more important than the God that it represents. And this would be true for, for all religions, that when the system becomes greater than the God that it represents, then we look at that as a very negative thing, because the emphasis is on the religion now being the mediator between God and man. And from a Christian perspective, uh, that passage I read in Timothy about praying for leaders, just below that, the Apostle Paul writes that there's only one mediator between God and humanity, and that is Jesus Christ. And what happens when we, uh, when we begin to develop a, a system that allows us to organize ourselves to follow Jesus, sometimes the system takes priority over Jesus himself. And when that happens, we've crossed the line. Then we have a problem. So when rituals begin to trump people, we have a problem. Or when doctrine becomes more important than mercy and grace, we have a problem. And when religion becomes the mediator between God and humanity instead of Jesus, uh, that's problematic. Jesus came to blow wide open uh, the doors of access to God. And often what happens in, in using and understanding religion in this negative way is that we create systems that actually prevent people from having access to God rather than systems that open up so more and more people can come and can have, and can have access to God. So this is what's interesting, because we're living in a, in a time right now when a lot of the things that we thought about church and how we do church uh, are tied in with our understanding of being religious. And so we've kind of had to wrestle with this idea, what does it mean to be the church? Are we only the church when we are gathered together? And if we can't gather together, how do we be the church? How do we live out our faith? How do we organize ourselves? And of course, we're finding these creative ways using technology like this. Um, people still have phones. People still can like visit and, and, and have porch visits or, or whatever you're doing to properly social distance yourself. But we're figuring that, that kind of stuff out. And yet, there's this sense that we we have to be able to meet together in order to be the church and so i've seen this trend of uh, of this petition online trying to lobby our government to reopen the churches and of course we have the the, the parking lot church scenario now which some churches are are using And uh, it was interesting, because in the United States, this is much more prevalent, but a friend of mine that I went to school with uh, named Scott, uh, quietest guy in the class, but probably the wisest guy as well, um, he posted recently about churches, you know, clamoring to be open, and, and churches, you know, pushing the government to say, we are an essential service for you. And I find that interesting, because for me, when it comes to the church and state, when the church becomes an essential service of the state, I think we have a problem. And we need to think long and hard about that. So on the one hand, we've got churches, Scott, my friend Scott said, we've got churches that are clamoring, let us open. It's important for us to gather. And then on the other hand, you have all of the events that have taken place over the last few days with the death of George Floyd. And... Not a lot of rallying and lobbying from church groups to do anything about that. And Scott shared a passage of scripture. I was going to speak from Ephesians chapter 2 today, and uh, and we'll get to that at the end. But I so appreciated uh, what he had to say. And I want to read this for you, Amos, from Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 24, It's one of the books called The Minor Prophets in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And there's a cluster of these short books, prophetic books, that are called The Minor Prophets. We're going to actually deal with them later this summer uh, in our one-story series that we've been going through over the last couple of years. But I want you to listen. You can follow along on the screen, but listen to these words. It's a translation called The Message from a man named Eugene Peterson. And, uh, and I so appreciate how he has interpreted these, these verses. So I'd like to read them for you, and you can follow along on the screen. Or just close your eyes and listen. This is God speaking through the prophet Amos. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image-making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That is all I want. I just want to give you a moment to let those words sink in. That is all I want. As you read through the various biblical authors and how God reveals himself to them and they share that story of God with us, you see over and over again, um, God seeking and wanting his people to live out justice and right living. And sometimes when we think of the prophetic books, we think about God's judgment and God's just looking for us to screw up. And, and yet when you read through them, this, this entire book of Amos, God is saying to, to his people, I've shown you how to live, and yet you continually turn away from that. And you just do things that are oppressing people and putting them down. You've forgotten that you yourselves were once oppressed, that you yourselves were once foreigners and aliens in a land. And you're doing the very same things that you despised at one point. And, of course, it's referring to the Exodus experience out of Egypt. And I think, you know, here we are in Collingwood. Um, it's a white town. We're an affluent town. A lot of you have moved up here because you want a slower pace of life. You want to take it easy. And we might think, you know, the stuff that's happening in Minneapolis or in Chicago or in Los Angeles or New York or all the other cities, you know, that's just far away from us. Even Toronto. I mean, that's down the road. That kind of stuff doesn't happen much here. I think we need to rethink that. I think the systems that create that stuff there are just as present here in our small little towns. And I know you've been watching probably about the riots that are happening. Um, And I would suggest this, before you are quick to judge um, people rioting, I think it's worth listening to the words of Martin Luther King Jr. And this is what he said, a riot is the language of the unheard. And for a long time, Things like what have happened have been going on and people are trying to draw our attention to it and they get, um, they go through all of this not being heard and eventually it builds up and then something happens and things snap and what we see happening begins to happen. And so that's not condoning the use of violence, um, at least for Jesus followers, Uh I think we have uh, a lot of work to do in how we actually stand up for the oppressed, how we uh, stand side by side with the marginalized and those who are put down. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to do. But I think Jesus calls us to something different. The passage in Ephesians um, that I was going to read, Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles being brought together. One of the things Jesus does when he sets up God's kingdom and he shuts down religion, one of the things he does is he removes the barriers that divide people. And often religious thinking creates barriers uh, that prevents access to God. And that was really what was happening with Jews and Gentiles. Interestingly, both of them, Gentile is a non-Jew. So in the first century uh, Palestine region, Jews and Gentiles both looked at each other as atheists. Because the Jews didn't believe in the gods that the Gentile people believed in. And of course, the Gentile people didn't believe in Yahweh that the Jews worship. So both groups looked at the other as atheists. And there was animosity between them. And the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, one of the things Jesus did on the cross was he, he in, in Ephesians 2.15, he destroyed the, the system of law with all of its regulations, opening up the way for everyone to have access to God. And he brings groups of people together. So in verse 19, he writes this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. And that word for strangers is where we get our word xenophobia. It's the root word for the term that we use to refer to those who are afraid of those who are other. Xenophobia is to be afraid of the other. And here Paul is saying God brings these people together. Interestingly, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's the day that we celebrate God's Holy Spirit coming upon all people, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 2, and what's interesting is when the apostles who begin telling people about Jesus and what he has done are heard from all the people who are in Jerusalem in their own language And the writer makes very clear, um, his point is there are people from all over the world in this one location, and they are hearing God in their own language, even though the apostles are speaking in their Aramaic language. And it's this depiction that everyone has access to God. We are all brought together. And what Jesus does is he breaks down that hostility. Religion, I think, often creates that barrier that keeps people out, which which creates the hostility between people. Jesus has destroyed that, and he throws open the doors and says to everybody, come, come to God. And so over the last few weeks, we've talked about how Jesus shows us God's love. He saves us from sin. He sets up God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is so much about justice. Justice for the oppressed, for the marginalized, for the poor, for those who are put down, for those that are considered different, for those that are looked upon as other. And Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 4, he he um, Luke chapter 5 says, you know, he was preaching about the kingdom of God and he wanted to do that in more places. Luke chapter 4, what he was preaching was a quotation from Isaiah chapter 61, which was all about, Um, giving sight to the blind, setting the oppressed free, and bringing justice for the marginalized. And he leaves out the part about the day of the Lord, which Jewish people thought this will be where all of our enemies get what's coming to them. And he leaves that part off, and he says the kingdom of God is different. Things are different now. Everybody has access to God. I've been seeing on social media some people posting things like, you know, we're all the same. There's no different. Why are we arguing about these things? And we want everybody, we want to bring everybody to be the same. And I think we have to be careful that we don't try to talk about minority groups as if, well, they're, they're just like us. Because I think, and I might be wrong, but I think that's about people with privilege trying to tell the people who don't have that privilege... Well, come and be like me. I don't think we should try to make everybody the same. I think we should recognize our differences and the beauty in that and celebrate that. I think to try to make everybody the same is, is heading in the wrong direction. And so when you look through the biblical account and you see what Jesus does and you see what his early followers do, they celebrate the diversity of God's kingdom. People from different ethnicities and different languages and different cultures and different cuisines and different music and different worldviews all coming together and able to uh, reflect the image of God in all of their diversity in a variety of different ways. I don't want us to make everybody the same. I want us to celebrate our differences and know that Jesus brings us together and we can... Have that unity without resorting to uniformity. I want to talk a little bit about solidarity for just a moment. When we talked about how Jesus saves us from sin, we talked about the solidarity we have with Adam. Sin entered this world and we are in solidarity with Adam. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes that, you know, through Adam, sin came to everyone because everyone dies. We've all sinned. We share that nature uh, somehow with Adam. We're all in his shoes. And yet Jesus enters into solidarity with us by becoming one of us and by taking all of that upon himself and removing it from us. He destroys it on the cross. And then we in turn have solidarity with Jesus by being made new, being made like him. When we turn to Jesus, we become more and more human because Adam actually is the first human points ahead to Jesus as the most complete human that we could uh, imagine. And we're being made more and more into his image. So the closer we get to Jesus, in some ways, the more human we become. And that's a beautiful thing. It's about solidarity. And so I would encourage us to consider what it means to be in solidarity with those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, those who are being put down. And you might think that's hard when we're in a, a small town like this. And yet when you read through the scriptures, you see it again in Deuteronomy 10. God shows Israel his heart for the foreigner and for the oppressed and encourages them to welcome them in and treat them well. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes to uh, one of the most uh, hated enemies of the Jews, a Samaritan woman. And he's breaking all kinds of barriers and identifying with her in solidarity. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus spends his time hanging out with um, people that are called the scum of the earth and sinful people. And he's entering into solidarity with them. He identifies with them. He actually takes on the criticism that they have. He takes that on for himself. And in many ways, that's solidarity. I think we have a response that we need to make as a community, as individuals. And I think it needs to reflect the way of Jesus. As we said last week, his way is our way. And you might be tempted to think, well, what would Jesus do? WWJD. And I would say, no, don't think that. Jesus was a first century Jew living in Palestine who has no connection with what's happening in modern day Minneapolis. Instead, ask the question, what did Jesus do? Not would he do, but what did Jesus do? How did he treat people? And get into the Gospels, get into the Bible, and read about how Jesus treated people and take the principles that he lived for us and that he taught us and apply them to your day today. And I think that will help you. It'll help you be careful in what you're posting on online. Um, thinking Seriously, before you hit that post button and what you're sharing and what you're spreading. It'll guide you in how you can become more involved in meaningful ways. Let me leave you with this: a few things that you can do in light of what's happened with George Floyd, in light of what's happened over the last couple of days, uh, in light of what's going on right now, even in our own country. And the first thing is this: I want to encourage you to fast. You may think, well, that's an odd response. Why would you tell us to stop eating food because of what's going on? Well, first of all, I think um, if you want to stop eating food and spend that time in prayer, that's always a good thing. But actually, the fasting that I'm talking about, you can read about in Isaiah 58, where God says, the kind of fast I'm looking for is not what you think. It's about getting involved in setting the oppressed free in making sure that justice happens in this world. So, I encourage you to read that entire chapter and even go into chapter 59 as well and read about the kind of fast that God calls us to. I want to encourage you to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray persistently. In Luke 18, there's a story of a widow who approaches an unjust judge. And she's been wronged, and he doesn't care. So, she just keeps pastoring him day after day after day after day until she gets what she wants. Jesus is telling that story to help us understand about the persistence that we can have in prayer and how we should not give up in prayer. But I think there's a good element there of just saying seek justice and don't give up and keep seeking justice and do that on behalf of those that cannot seek it for themselves because they're not being listened to. We have the opportunity to do that. Educate yourself. Learn about racism. I have a lot of learning to do in this area. I grew up in a small farm community where everybody's white. I've lived in cities, and I've seen uh, what's happened. And I've actually been a minority when we lived in East London. Um, but it's, it's not the same. And I want to continue growing in, in what I'm learning about. So I've posted uh, in the video description for you an article from Sojourners magazine Um, that's titled, For Our White Friends Desiring to be Allies. And I would encourage you to click that link, read that article, because in there she also references some great books that you can read, and that'll probably lead you to some other places where you can do some learning. And I think rather than just what she says, rather than going to your black friend or your minority friend and asking them to explain to you what it's all about, um, why not take it upon yourself to do some learning on your own? and do the work that it requires. And along with that, I wanted to make available to you um, a virtual tour that is happening in June through Mennonite Central Committee in conjunction with um, the Woodland Cultural Center, which is in Brantford. They have a residential school there that they have been fully restoring. And of course, we can't go see it in person right now. I've been to the museum there. The residential school wasn't open. But in June, they're doing a virtual tour. And if you think, well, this is a racism problem in the States, uh, it's not here, uh, I would I would challenge that. Um, we have a very uh, strong racism issue here in Canada uh, with, with the black community, but also with our First Nations communities. And for a long time, we've just, we hid what was reality. And now we're starting to learn more about it. And this is another opportunity for you to learn. So you can go on, click that link, uh, get an Eventbrite ticket, and you can actually take the virtual tour. And I so encourage you to do this because it will be an eye-opening experience for you. I think that's all I want to say about that. I'm quite open if you want to dialogue further. Um, you can send me an email, paul at newlifecollingwood.com. Uh, you can connect with me. I think I want to end with a prayer, and <clears throat> I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 2. And make this our prayer, because this is what Jesus is calling us to. And this is what I hope happens uh, in the future. So I'm going to just use the phrase Gentiles to represent, um, and Jews. It's just when people are estranged, Jesus brings them together. And that's what we're seeking, and that's what we're trying to do. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I think God's heart is for people to be brought together. He wants to dwell with all of us. Our religious thinking creates religious practices that exclude. It focuses on religious spaces that keep people out. And here, the Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus has done away with the need for religious practices that exclude. And he just says, people come to the Father through me. And he gets rid of the religious spaces. And he says, actually, we are the dwelling place of God. He is within us. He is among us. And he wants to bring all of us together under one head, who is Christ. So we have a lot of work to do in reconciliation, in working hard to bring people who are estranged together. And what a wonderful ministry that we have lying before us, even in this community in the Georgian Triangle, to seek out how we can bring people together. And it's the love that Jesus has shown us the love of God for us that motivates us to do that. I hope this has been helpful for you today. I trust that uh, you will dwell on this, that you'll click the links, do some research, and growing yourself, and um, and talk about this this week. Look to see where you can make a difference in our world here and now. In the name of Christ, and for His glory, Amen. Have a great week. We will see you. Uh, next Sunday, June 7th, as we wrap up this series on the good news for tough times. Bye for now.